All right. Yeah, okay. Lovely. Perfect. Let's do this. Okay, good. We're going live and we are definitely live. Welcome everyone to live stream. I believe we're at number 89 of the data on Kubernetes community. As always, it's a pleasure to have you with us. If you have not subscribed yet, smash that subscribe button right now. Also check us out on Twitter, on LinkedIn. We've got a lot of things going on. Big piece of news. If you have made plans for October 12th already, you should cancel them because we have officially now announced our DOK day uh, for KubeCon. You can see the schedule, all the different speakers that are going to be participating. We're having a bunch of news coming about that soon. We got a press release that's out, a lot of things that are going on. So definitely check that out. The registration is 100% free. Um, so you can get in there, you can check out all the talks, got some really, really exciting things we're going to be having from both vendors and end users, all focused on these key issues of running, working with stable workloads on Kubernetes, running databases, all the different things that come into that. So you definitely want to be there. The last event was a massive success. This one, we've already got over 560 people signed up and we're just starting to make noise, just releasing the schedule today. Very excited about that. That being said, very happy to have Chris Adkin with us. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you, Bart. Good. And you were saying previously about where you are based. You are based in the UK, but not just any city. Where are you at I'm, right now? I'm based in the, the land of Robin Hood that is Nottingham. That is great. And do you have frequent encounters with the sheriff? I, I do not know. Funnily <laughs> enough, the, the, there, is a, there is actually still a castle, and um, they have events there, and they have people dressed up in medieval garb. And even get into character and you, you can walk in, they have these guards near the entrance and saying, you know, we, uh, the, the, the sheriff demands that this be a happy day. You should look happy. It's yeah. So we have that sort of stuff. And, you know, they have odd events where there's people jousting on horses and shooting bows and arrows. So yeah, but not, not the, obviously not the, um, I think there is a, there is a, a, a sheriff, but it's a bit more gentrified this day. So it's, um, I don't know if it, I can't remember if it's a man or a woman, but it's somebody who's in formal attire and have a great big um, uh, gold-looking chain with something hanging off it, but not a uh, not a sheriff in the context of a bad guy who's, who's on the hunt for Robin Hood. <laughs> Sounds more like a benevolent rapper with a big gold chain wrapped around their head. Yeah, yeah well, well that, that works also, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Okay, cool. So we got that part out of the way. But now yeah. can you tell us a little bit more about your technical profile, how you started working with Kubernetes, and then we can jump right into your tech. Um, so my my technical profile is that historically um, I come from the the world of Microsoft. Um, I've been a DBA, a developer, an architect in in various different professional lives. Um, the whole reason why I'm involved in this fantastic world that is Kubernetes is because, as you'll see from the presentation as it begins to unfold is that um, the, uh, the, the sort of technical direction of travel for Microsoft, certainly when it comes to their hybrid multi-cloud story, is around, lo and behold, Kubernetes. And, and it's, it's, yeah, it, it, it's kind of the, the Kubernetes is the, the, the tip of the spear for all the exciting hybrid and multi-cloud stuff they want to do ergo that's why you know i i'm involved in kubernetes and also um in the day job as well with various things my employer has done we, we've seen a um an explosion in demand for things which are kubernetes related so i've i've been 
pulled into the the Kubernetes world via that also. Okay. Um, and why do you think there is such a high demand right now? Um, I I think it, it sort of um, it it frees developers and uh, to quote the likes of Kelsey Hightower that that Kubernetes is the platform for building platforms on. Uh, Kubernetes it, it provides a fantastic abstraction between infrastructure and the things that developers are interested in. Um, it's uh, it's cloud agnostic. So again, as you'll see from what I'm presenting, mm -hmm. um, the, the 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 sort of focus area of this presentation it's stuff that you can use. And I'm giving away some spoilers here. No, um, no, no, we don't but, want to. Let, let, let's yeah, let's get the deck open before we start releasing yeah, too many secrets. It's, it's um, you want you want a nice platform that provides a nice clean abstraction between all the stuff that developers are interested in and people building platforms high at the stack and the stuff that's infrastructure. Um, there's nothing better than Kubernetes for providing that right now that's got traction that most of the, the big cloud vendors are adopting. You can use it on any cloud and, and virtually any infrastructure. Yep, good. Well, that being said, let's jump into your presentation. Okay, let me... Let me hit the uh, the share screen button. Let me start the presentation first. Okay. Uh, 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 slideshow. Okay. Let me. No worries. And just a reminder to everyone who's joining us on YouTube: feel free to put your questions in the chat. We'll get them answered uh, accordingly. Yeah. Um, I'm looking for the screen share button. No worries. It's a, we always say this. We're talking about data on Kubernetes, but few things are more frustrating than Zoom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let me see if it's this one. Okay. Share. Got it. Awesome. Okay, you got it. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. We have a go. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, bit about me um i've given you a, a brief rundown in addition to the things i've already mentioned to you bart um i run this uh this monthly meetup uh, the azure cloud native data platform user group i'm a co-founder along with this guy in in germany called ben wiseman who's uh written various books on, on data platforms, on Azure and cloud native technology and, and stuff on Plural site. So that's on Meetup. We have a, a, a virtual event once a month and uh, I suppose TLDR, it, it's cloud native data platform stuff with uh, an Azure flavor. Okay. Um, I've also offered some Kubernetes material on Microsoft's official GitHub repo. That's to do with something that's kind of related to what I'm uh, presenting today. And also I, I speak at uh, Microsoft community events. Okay, so um, this is a vendor agnostic session, but for my, uh, the screen grab of how I appear on Twitter, you can probably work out who I work for. Okay, so that's me. Uh, what I'm gonna do is, 
a bit unusual, I guess. I'm going to launch straight into a, a demo, which is kind of going to set things up and set the tone for the rest of the presentation. So this is, um, this is the Azure uh, Marketplace, okay? And I'm going to deploy something from said Marketplace. So I'm just going through a, um, a bunch of things here. I'm, I'm deploying a SQL Server managed instance. So I sele selected a location, service type of load balancer. I'm providing some credentials. Okay, and I might have, I might have provided a, a spoiler before I've gone into this as to where this is going to go, but just, just hang fire. Okay. We're, I'll pretend I didn't hear that. That's okay. Yeah. Okay, so we're deploying this managed instance. We're going to go to the resources and then, hey, presto, there we are. Okay, so that is that is our SQL Server managed instance. We've deployed that straight from the marketplace. And the $64 million questions uh, to our viewers is, where has this thing been deployed to? Okay, so let me move on so where's this running so this is this is running uh, against a kubernetes cluster running in a, a lab that i have access to in in the greater london area okay so this is a uh, this is a screen grab from vmware vsphere uh, you can see five virtual machines on there i've got two two vms for the control plane and three workers so this is, and this is all one of the big, big reasons why I've gone into Kubernetes. This is Microsoft's um, vision of multi-cloud and, 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 and hybrid cloud that you can deploy, deploy uh, Azure-like data services, and you have the flexibility of deploying those to a Kubernetes cluster virtually anywhere. So that could be in somebody else's cloud or it could be on-premises. Okay. Um, I, I grabbed this from my LinkedIn um, timeline today from you, Bart, and you'll say you've got this, this fantastic piece of artwork from somebody who... Um, who it, I, I don't know this guy. It sounds like he knows a lot about Kubernetes, but it, it looks like he's a... Great artist, also. Well, there, there's a story behind that, but I'm not going to give any spoilers away either, Chris. So don't okay, worry. Okay, so you'd be like, okay, so so why should I run my data on on Kubernetes? So I said right at the top that Kubernetes it, it gives you this flexibility, and uh, Microsoft's view of the world is you know we we you go back I know 10, 15 years ago, and it, it was. Um, you know, thou shall not use anything except Windows. Uh, with Satya Nardella on board, and you've got Brendan Burns, one of the co-founders, well, one of the the um, the uh, original uh, developers, inventors behind Kubernetes on board at Microsoft. Um, times have changed, and uh, people want the flexibility to uh, not be not be tied into specific infrastructure, specific clouds. In fact, what I'm presenting, this is Azure Arc enabled data services. Microsoft were making noises that one of the very first 
customers to deploy this in Angular will be doing so on EKS on AWS. Okay, and there might be a whole whole bunch of reasons um, why you want um, an Azure Azure like data services on something that isn't Azure. So you might have invested heavily in somebody else's public cloud. Um, you might, for data governance reasons, um, you might be tied into doing stuff that's on-premises. Um, you might also uh, run your business in a, or parts of the world that aren't served by uh, Azure regions. So I'm hearing stories that there's, there's folks in Russia and also folks in, in Turkey for those very same reasons that they're interested in this. Okay, so Azure Arc enabled data services, this is the stack. Okay, so um, I've got storage at the bottom. So imagine, you know, uh, there's some sort of layer cake like architecture going off at the bottom layer of the cake, you have storage. Uh, next up, you have a platform or a distribution that's based on Kubernetes. I've got some of the usual suspects in there. So things like OpenShift, EKS, GKE, uh, KubeADM, that is vanilla um, Kubernetes, which you might want to uh, deploy the hard way as per Kelsey Hightower's now famous repo, or you might want to deploy it using uh, KubeSpray, which is what I do. That's your basic infrastructure. Next up, we have the foundation of what becomes Azure Arc enabled data services. So you have this thing with a sprocket symbol on. That's your uh, data services controller. We have some actual databases on top of that, which at the moment is Postgres hyperscale and Azure Arc enabled um, SQL Server. And then at the topmost layer of our cake, we, we have Azure. So this doesn't have to be deployed to Azure, but you need to, you need to register your controller with uh, an Azure region. And you, you use that as kind of um, the control plane if you want to deploy stuff from the marketplace. Okay, and I'll, I'll come on to this later. Um, if, say, for example, um, I don't know, you're a, a, a bank, uh, some federal government organization who uh, is not 100% happy with your stuff making calls out to the public cloud, um, you can deploy your control in what's called um, an indirect manner. You, you still use Azure, but as and when your controller makes calls up to, to the Azure cloud, you are 100% in control of that, okay? So this, to recap, this is your basic, basic um, infrastructure, okay? Uh, this, this slide, this comes from a um, Microsoft marketing deck. The whole thing about Azure Arc is it's, I'm focusing, it, focusing on the bit that basically gives you a Azure dialect of database on, as a service on Kubernetes anywhere. The, the, the bigger picture, uh, as it were, includes the ability to run things like um, Azure Kubernetes, Azure Arc for services. 
that allows to you to sorry, servers that allows you to register servers and Kubernetes clusters with Azure, so you can um, see what's going on in terms of uh, metrics and logging. You've got a single pane of glass for your infrastructure. Uh, there's also some other interesting things happening. So one of the most recent things that Microsoft have released this platform is um, uh, Azure App Services for Arc. So that gives you the uh, ability to run uh, Azure Functions, um, Azure Apps, and also um, Azure Logic Apps on a, on a Kubernetes cluster. So it's, it's kind of... It, it's kind of like giving you a Azure experience on virtually any Kubernetes cluster anywhere. Okay. Tools. So I, in that little demo that I opened up with, I was using Azure Marketplace. Uh, you can also use the CLI. Uh, you can use Kubernetes native tools. So at the moment, um, this is mainly YAML uh, manifest. I have heard noises that you, you might be able to deploy things with Helm in the future. Uh, you've got this thing called BICEP. So BICEP is, is kind of like, um, I say it's the next generation of ARM templates. It, it sits on top of ARM templates and uh, uh, it's, it looks a bit, a bit like Terraform in, in that you've, you've got this, the, these, things that are written in, in JSON. Um, it, it, it's kind of vaguely Terraform-like. Um, you've got this thing called Azure Data Studio. I've got a, I've got a demo. I'll, I'll show you guys that. And also um, Microsoft is saying that um, they'll do some work with um, a, a Terraform provider at some later to be confirmed date. Okay, so you, your basic starting point for all of this is obviously you, you need a, um, a Kubernetes cluster and, and there's a number of supported platforms and distros at the moment and I'll, I'll tell you guys what they are. But the basic starting point is you need to deploy a controller. Before you can deploy a database to this thing, you need a controller. And you can deploy these things in, in one or two modes. You've got this direct mode in which your controller, it'll automatically send logging and telemetry up to Azure. Um, also, it allows you to deploy things via the marketplace as well. And you've got this indirect mode, which, as I mentioned, if you're a bank, somebody in financial services, government, anybody that's highly um, operates in a highly regulated industry, that is probably where you'll gravitate to. And what this thing does is it, it, it kind of extends the Azure Resource uh, Manager control plane to your Kubernetes cluster, wherever that might, might be. Okay. Um, these are the supported distros at the moment. So this little line of code, AZ Arc Data DC config list. These are the distros of Kubernetes uh, that you can deploy to and platforms. That thing at the top with AKE at the moment, I think that is a, a flavor of Kubernetes that lives in the Alibaba cloud. But you've got all the, the popular distros in there. So you've got EKS, GKE, OpenShift. You've got OpenShift as a service on Azure, 
and obviously you've you've got um, AKS as well. Okay, so so if you want um, uh, an up to date list of the, the the platforms that you can deploy Kubernetes for, uh, just install the Azure CLI and and run this command, and it will it will give you uh, the the best idea as to what that looks like. Okay. Um, you can deploy a controller in a number of ways. Uh, one of the quickest and easiest way to do that is again via the the uh, the Azure CLI. Uh, this is um, the simplest example that I can provide. Uh, the infrastructure is on premises, so when I tend to do this, I, I tend to do this to vanilla Kubernetes in my lab. Okay. Once you've deployed your controller, there's two different, uh, I've got a flavors, dialects of database that you can deploy to this. Uh, so you've got Azure Arc Managed SQL Server Instances. So this is, uh, this is compatible with SQL Server. It, it's kind of like your traditional um, scale-up database engine. And then you've got this thing called Postgres Hyperscale which is 100% compatible with Postgres, but it's actually scale out. Uh, if you read Microsoft documentation on this, they refer to something called Citus, or you'll, you'll come across that. What that is, it's a, uh, it's a company which came up with a scale out version of, of Postgres. Uh, Microsoft bought these guys out, hence why you might come across Citus, that's C-I-T-U-S in Microsoft's documentation, okay? But what the, what the aim is, is that you can deploy these to the, 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 the platforms and Kubernetes distros are mentioned on the last slide. Um, you'll get uh, automatic updates to the container images, automatic uh, backups, and you'll get uh, the kind of one pane of glass to, to, to rule them all, which is, um, which is Azure, okay? So this is, um, uh, this, this little command, this is deploying um, a managed instance uh, to a Kubernetes cluster that's got the controller running on, okay? And what I've done here is I said that I want two replicas, okay? So highlighted replicas, because obviously uh, databases, uh, people want, high availability, which should not be confused for something that's that's fault tolerant, okay? And I've just run this kubectl command just to make the point that even though I've got replicas here, I'm, I'm talking about two actual instances, okay? So I'm not, I'm not talking about replicas in the context of a replication controller, a stateful set or, or a, a daemon set. So it's it's got, HA that's baked in the, to the platform that's very easy to uh, to enable. Okay, so this is the this is the full fat version of the command. So I've highlighted a few things. So uh, the security conscious amongst you, um, you might want to use um, Kubernetes secrets for logging credentials. Uh, there's a minus minus dev flag on there. So if you want to use this for development purposes, you can do so um, and you won't get uh, you won't get build. Um, I've highlighted the storage classes there. 
you can use a single storage class for the whole lot, or you can use specific storage classes, things like backups, data, data logs, uh, and, and logs. So I'm not going to go through the whole, whole command, but it, this is just to give you guys some sort of idea that this is um, it, it's quite extensive in, in, in terms of the way that Microsoft have thought this out. Okay, so Postgres hyperscale, uh, this is a bit different. This is, this is um, scale out. Uh, you deploy what's called a server group. Uh, you have a concept of this thing called a coordinator, which is kind of the brain, which farms out um, work to the things called the workers. Okay, so obviously these sit on top of Kubernetes work, worker nodes, but also in context of, of your server group, you have these workers in the actual group. Um, you have one database per server group. Uh, and what you can do is you can, you can shard Postgres tables across your workers. Okay. Um, so this thing is, is elastic. So once you've deployed this, um, you, can actually, uh, you can actually scale it out. You can start with a certain number of workers. Um, you can increase that number. Obviously, it depends on the, uh, the resources you've got in your Kubernetes cluster, how many worker nodes you've got, uh, what's running on those other worker nodes. So the thing I should point out is, is even if you don't have a Postgres hyperscale worker running on a particular worker node, you will have other things that kind of form the, 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 the base infrastructure, things associated with a controller uh, running on those workers also. And where Microsoft are going with this, so this is um, this is not my slide, this is a slide that comes from a marketing deck. And what I've I've got on there is I've highlighted future data services and the sort of grand plan or the vision is 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 to bring um, more things that you can only find in Azure in the cloud at the moment to this platform. So um, I don't work for Microsoft. I can't speak for them, but you can imagine. But, but, but you do steal resources from their marketing decks. Yes, guil guil guilty as guilty as charged. <laughs> yeah. As a good citizen of Nottingham, robbing from the rich to feed the poor. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway. So you've you've side you've sidetracked me there. Sorry, anyway. sorry, that's <laughs> uh, all right. So, so don't I don't want you to run away or go away with the idea that that, that the only things that you'll ever be able to run on this platform are Postgres and the the Azure Cloud version of SQL Server. So future data services. What what are we talking about here? So we might, and again. With, with the caveat and, and might in, in um, inverted quotes, it might include things like Cosmos DB, MySQL, uh, MariaDB, uh, things like uh, Azure Data Explorer. So this, this, this thing is evolving, it's moving. At the moment, Microsoft appeared to be coming out with a release every month, okay? And I, I kind of expect that release cadence to, to continue. Okay, um, 
the other thing that you can do with this is you, you can create these things called custom locations. Uh, what you need to do is you need to register your, um, your Kubernetes cluster with Azure Arc for Kubernetes. And there's a number of commands that you need to, to run to uh, satisfy the prerequisites. Once you've done that, it's a single, it's a single um, command. Uh, in your Azure resource group, you'll see your Kubernetes cluster, okay? And you'll get um, resource telemetry, logging information, there's a few other things that you'll be able to see. You install this thing called an extension for Azure Arc Data Services. And then what you can do is, is you can create what's called a custom location. So at the demo at the very beginning, I deployed my uh, Azure Arc Managed SQL Server instance to the UK South Custom location, okay? And that's basically um, that location is my, my lab um, in this little suburb of, of London that's, that's not far, far from Heathrow Airport. So what you can do is you can effectively label your your Kubernetes clusters so that when somebody comes along and they want to deploy their own databases, they, they can select these custom locations. Okay, so this is um, this is kind of this is what things look like uh, once you've registered your Kubernetes um, cluster with, with Azure Arc. So uh, I've got a custom location here called Stains Lab. Um, I've got my Kubernetes cluster, which I've been incredibly imaginative with when naming it. So I've called it K8's uh, hyphen cluster. So no imagination spared there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um you've got a bunch I, I, I do have to ask sorry for clarification i oh. hate to sidetrack you more is this the stains that were legs based it's it, it, it it's the stains not not just where leg is based but it's the legendary stains where leg comes from okay and also because i'm 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 gonna i'm also gonna enrich your life by telling you it's also the stains where where linoleum originates from oh my god that yeah. that's that's yeah. a fun fact. Yeah, it's it's I I expect you to be blown away for the next next month at the very least <laughs> by virtue of the fact I've imparted that fun fact to you. Okay. I've got a lot of research to do. Anyway, this yeah, is no, no, actually, if you walk through the um, I'm, I'm going there tomorrow. If you walk through the town centre, there's this like um, uh, there's this almost like a sculpture. These two men carrying this this big roll of lino. So. I'm going to I'm going to link that right oh, now in the YouTube are. You chat. Should, so if anybody wants to check that out, yeah, you should consider yourself feeling culturally enriched. I I don't need any more fun facts for the day. Having heard okay. that, Thank you, Chris. right? Anyway, so so looking at this on the left hand side, um, there's a bunch of things you've got security policies. You can set up um, policies. Um, you'd be able to click on the cluster and you'd be able to see things like metrics on, on CPU consumption, memory consumption on your worker nodes, uh, logs. This is a bit of a, a, a taste of what Azure Arc uh, enabled Kubernetes uh, looks like. And uh, if you want to do this, um, uh, I mean, you can do it with, with um, vanilla Kubernetes. I've heard of people that have registered their 
their clusters which are running on Raspberry Pi clusters. It could be something that's on a Intel NUC, something that's running on 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 top of VMware in in, in your lab. Um, yeah, you, you can you know sort of dip your toe in the water with this very easily. Uh, the other thing that it gives you is it gives you um, GitOps integration. So um, I'm guessing that you've had people uh, on this stream have spoken about GitOps. Oh yeah. So I'm, I'm guessing that you've you might have even had the likes of Alexis Richardson from WeaveWorks. No, I have not, but I do have a very good friend, uh, Leonardo Murillo, who works at uh, WeaveWorks. And but I've also heard the I heard Alexis being interviewed on the Kubernetes podcast from Google by Craig Box, and very very interesting interview, very interesting background. Okay, well the 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 point being is 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 that um, Microsoft have done some work with the uh, the Flux operator from WeaveWorks. So this thing here, this enable GitOps integration, you can click on that. Um, you can add a, a, a GitOps uh, configuration. Um, and it, I believe it integrates with the Azure uh, policy uh, manager. So the whole point of this is, is, is that you... Um, you register your Kubernetes cluster with uh, Azure Arc and uh, you get the, the, the ability to install the, the uh, Weaveworks Flux operator with integration into the Azure Policy Manager for free. Okay, so I've got another, um, got another demo here. So this time this is, um, this is Azure Data Studio. Uh, so this thing, it, it's um, it's based on Eclipse. If you think it looks vaguely like it, you can mm -hmm. run this on Windows, Mac, Linux. So this is a um, that was a Grafana dashboard that we went into for the uh, the Azure Managed SQL Server instance. Um, you can use things like I'm, I'm showing you notebooks here, so you can play around with uh, stuff in in notebooks for. Uh, playing around your managed uh, instance, so that's the um, that's the Python uh, three uh, kernel. There, you can deploy stuff from it as well. Okay, okay, so that's a very uh, very quick whistle stop tour of Azure Data Studio. Okay, um, storage. A, a quick word on. On storage, a uh, few uh, history buffs out there. Uh, this is a guy, as you can probably imagine, I'm guessing he's from the 60s, pointing something at what is the, uh, it's a disk drive associated with the IBM Ramac. It's the world's first commercial hard drive. Uh, you need storage. You need it for two things. Uh, when you deploy your controller, um, that has um, some persistent volumes associated with it. So you need uh, storage for your controller in the first instance. Obviously, you need, uh, you need storage for your Azure Arc Managed SQL Server instances and your Postgres Hyperscale Server Group. Um, Microsoft, they don't mandate that your um, uh, whatever storage plugin your your storage class is associated with, they don't mandate 
that there have to be, um, I've got a CSI complaint, CSI compliant, um, but they just basically have to support uh, persistent uh, volumes, okay? And as I mentioned, you need them from the controller, um, you manage instances, and you Postgres hyperscale server groups. Um, you can use, um, you can use a single storage class for the whole lot. Uh, Microsoft gives you the ability to use storage classes for different things. Um, I'll touch on disaster recovery briefly. Uh, obviously, uh, a really nice analogy around disaster recovery is wherever you send your backups to, ideally try and make that somewhere different to the place where that's hosting your databases in a storage context. Um, when I, I first started out in IT, I went this training course and this guy said, if you do that, it, it's, it's kind of like your car going off the edge of a cliff and you're finding out that your insurance documents are in the, uh, the glove box. So, so don't do that. Okay. Um, some good rules of thumb. You, you don't have to use a CSI compliant uh, plugin. However, given that the, the direction of travel of the Kubernetes storage special interest group is, is heavily um, uh, CSI focused. Uh, in fact, much of what they're doing is coalescing around the CSI standard. It's probably not a bad thing to, to go with a, uh, a storage plugin that, that adheres to the CSI standard. Okay. Uh, in particular, those that allow for volume expansion. So uh, if you need to expand persistent volumes uh, and your plugin doesn't allow you to do that, that's probably not a great place to be. Um, in, in terms of QoS, obviously, if you're backing things up, so the way this works is it uses the the, the backup me mechanisms that are associated with the native databases, which produce backup files. So what you probably want to do is you probably want a storage class which supports different qualities of service. So for backups, you probably want something that A, um, is going to somewhere other than the place that's hosting your databases, and B, it supports high write bandwidth, okay? And you might also want something um, that supports uh, the ability to automatically rebind persistent volumes in the event that your, uh, your pods and other things are rescheduled so that they jump from one worker node to another. One more thing, uh, there's, um, it seems that the, the ecosystem of backup tools for Kubernetes is, is burgeoning. That's true. Um, the, I'm, I'm guessing you've had guys from these vendors that have presented. Yes, we have. Yeah, and and from from Castin, from and we have a storage OS meetup coming up pretty soon. And we actually had one just last week with Salman Iqbal, who's uh, actually speaking this week in Kubernetes Community Days London or UK rather, and he was talking about all about backup and restore. So no, it's it's a hot topic. Yeah, abs absolutely. So the way that. Um, many of these tools work is so if you take postgres for example um you'll have some sort of hook that calls something in postgres that quiesces the the io for the database it takes a snapshot of the persistent volumes 
and then it perhaps copies them to object storage somewhere. So that might be S3 in the cloud, S3 on-premises, Azure Blob storage. And then once the once the snapshot has finished and it, it's gone off to wherever it needs to go in terms of object storage, uh, IO will be forward. Okay. Um, with these things, Microsoft, they, they don't ship anything in the container images to do that. Um, their stance is that you shouldn't be calling things inside the container to actually freeze and unfreeze IO. Um, I've got to play around with this on the to-do list. You might be able to call something to do a checkpoint on the database and perform the snapshot. So if you've got any, um, if you use any tools which snapshot persistent volumes, just be mindful of this. Be mindful of the fact that if you're using any other different database engine and you call something inside a container uh, to uh, freeze and unfreeze IO, this isn't there with Azure Arc for data services at the moment. And I don't know if it's going to be. Okay, so well, there are ways and means around that, but you, you would need to uh, do your own due diligence. And regarding this, in terms of integrations with other storage options like OpenEBS, um, do you have any experience with that? OBDS. Oh, OpenEBS. Sorry, OpenEBS. Um, I, or, or Longhorn. I'm just thinking of other ones that are in the CNCF sort of ecosystem. I, I don't. I mean, I won't. Um, to cut a long story short, it's okay. The, the the one I mainly play around with is is the one from my um, employer. Makes sense. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it, the long and short of it is 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 basically um, yeah. I mean, any any storage plugin out there um, that supports persistent volumes, it should just it should just it should just work. Um, above and beyond that, um, yeah, you, you know, you'd have to um, do your own testing and do your own due, due diligence. But you know, this is absolutely not not tied into any specific storage ecosystem other than Got it. Yeah. what you use, it must support persistent volumes. All good? Yep. Okay. So you, you've, you've got your, your Robin Hood joke in. Have you got any more? <laughs> we talked about stains. But, well, you'll see. Remember, you said no spoilers. So yeah, okay. Um, so um, you've got um, uh, data protection baked, to, baked into the platform with uh, the, the Azure Arc Managed SQL Server instances at the moment. Um, uh, at the moment, and I should caveat all of this by, by saying that this is moving quite fast at the moment than Microsoft. At the moment, the release cadence appears to be once a month at the moment. Um, but you can do point-in-time recovery uh, this little YAML manifest illustrates how you would do it with Azure Arc Managed uh, SQL Server. So uh, data protection, it's not the most interesting thing in the world, but if you manage anything that's that's stateful, uh, generally most people have always said to me, one of the first things that you need to, to make sure is that you can recover stuff. So that's why I mentioned that. Um, I'm going to mention some useful resources as well. Uh, so Microsoft have got this thing called Jumpstart. Um, so it, it covers 
just about most facets of deploying Azure Arc to different clouds and different platforms. The whole idea behind this is to get you up and running as fast as possible. Uh, I've played around with the Azure Arc Jumpstart for data services on AWS. It appears that many of them use uh, Terraform. So if you don't use Terraform, it's a great tool for learning Terraform. If you do, um, it's giving you something that you'll that, uh, probably um, got that warm, fuzzy feeling of being familiar with. So as I said, I tried this out last Christmas. It worked really well on, on AWS. Um, I decided to throw some more resources at it, and, and lo and behold, um, I've contributed towards uh, Jeff Bezos's trip into outer space. And I thought, you know, as nice as that is, and, you know, as nice as it is for him to, you know, get in his ship, um, I've actually got a lab, okay, of resources that are free to me. Uh, why don't I come up with something that allows me to use these free resources? So what I came out with, um, I came out with this thing. It's in a, a GitHub repo called Azure Arc Data Services Fast Start. And I've laid this thing up into modules. So what you can do is, if you've got VMware in a lab somewhere, you can, you can build out the base virtual machines based on an Ubuntu image, which you can then build your Kubernetes cluster on. Because I've layered this, um, if you're doing this on, a, I don't know, on, on any other kind of infrastructure, bare metal, you've got Intel NUX, you've got a Raspberry Pi cluster, you can then deploy the Kubernetes cluster on top of that. Um, I've got a module for deploying a uh, metal LB load balancer. Um, I've got something in there for deploying the storage solution for my employer, but you can use, you can use whatever you want to use. And then finally at the top, I, I've got stuff for deploying uh, the controller. Okay. And again, the whole reason I came up with this is because um, if you've got something that is free to use or something that you can use and you haven't got the worry of doing something on a Monday, um, forgetting about it, coming back the, the following Monday and then finding out, hey, you know, I've got this, hmm, <laughs> this, this cloud bill I wasn't expecting to pay, that's something you can use. Okay, so that kind of wraps things up. Questions? Um, so a couple of different things, you know, in terms of what you what you looked at, you know, as, as someone who, like you said, has a fair amount of Microsoft experience. And what's been interesting as well for us to see is how the different responses, whether it's AKS, uh, EKS, GKE, seeing these sort of, you know, different ways of doing things. Do you really feel that we are moving away from vendor lock-in or do you feel that this is still a reality that we have yet to sort of shake off talking about hybrid cloud, multi-cloud? Um, I, I, think, I think we are, yeah. I mean, I, I, um, in my day job, I, I do actually see this. I do actually see that, that people don't want to, and I'm not, I'm not for a second saying that one cloud's better than another or you should, um, gravitate to particular vendors, but for sure I'm, I'm seeing people use more than one public cloud. And I'll, I'll give you another story. I know there's, there's organizations out there that have got considerable um, 
uh, cloud spend. They've, they've got, you know, bills in the, the seven-digit range. Yeah. By wow. moving to architectures that are based on cloud-native technology, so i.e. Kubernetes and containers and moving away from things that are only available on that particular cloud, which tie them into that cloud. But let's just say it, it opens up doors in terms of billing flexibility and wiggle room in, in terms of getting the bill down, that, that knowledge that the, um, the cloud provider has that you're, you're not rigidly tied into them, that you've got this flexibility to go else, elsewhere. I think that's a good point. And 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 when as as the definition suggests, you know that is as you said vendor, vendor lock in. I think um, and with the, the the cost factor, well, a couple of things: the portability factor that you know because when we talk about why run data on Kubernetes, one thing is the what, another thing is the how, and another thing is the why. We sort of outline some different whys, and I think you've you've touched on two of them: cost, you know, in terms of automation, and if you end up getting, you know, automation can help you get out of cost. And if you're only stuck with, you know, managed Kubernetes tools, as the aforementioned GKE, AKS, and EKS, then you, that can sort of limit you. And, and we've also seen the arisal of, you know, different tools like KubeCost that give people better information about, you know, what works best. And we also had a talk with uh, Michael Cade from, um, from Castin, who was talking about Coopster, which is an open source um, tool that helps people do benchmarking when it comes to storage options. Taking this question a little bit further about, you know, working with data on Kubernetes, do you feel, um, well, obviously I think we are in agreement that yes, you you would say that it can be done. What are the biggest barriers? Do you think that it's, it's because of a technological challenge, because of a talent issue, because of a cost issue? What do you think is still sort of, are sort of the, you know, uh, obstacles in order to make this more widespread? Um. I think one of the obstacles is a general understanding. So I, I was at mm. the last KubeCon in, in Barcelona and there's actually a, a storage track. And there's, there's somebody I know, not working through I work for, they gave a, a lightning talk on storage. And it was, it was kind of a bit of a back to the future thing. It was, it was about DR, it was about snapshots, it was about replication. And it was, um, people absolutely loved this. So people, yeah, I mean, people um, lapped this up and quite rightly so, and were taking pictures of this guy's slide. Um, and I think the thing is, I, I think one of the first ports of calls when it comes to doing anything stateful in the public cloud, it, it's been things like databases as a service and, I think there's been a bit of a knowledge gap in, in terms of understanding storage platforms and Kubernetes because, you know, the fact that people's first port of call has, has, has been things where they don't have to worry about this. So I think there's been that. I think also with containers in general, I think when they were first conceived, um, the, they were targeted at stateless workloads. I think that's a, a, a factor. Yeah, um, I, I think there's a lot of complexity in the Kubernetes ecosystem. Um, I think that might cloud things as well. But yeah, I mean, I mean, just sort of generally those those things, I would say. I think those are very strong factors too. And like you said, is that although although Kubernetes is still quite a young technology, 
if everybody starts out with in mind that everything's just going to be done statelessly and not even consider, you know, running stateful workloads, it's natural that there's some kind of resistance going towards that. However, what you were saying as well, too, some companies cannot have, um, you know, that are still doing everything on-prem, they, uh, for for compliance uh, security reasons, will also be, you know, more, I would think, would probably adhere more to, okay, let's do everything statefully, um, you know, from the get-go. But like you said, the knowledge gap, it is there. And I'm curious as well, too, as, as someone who's who's seen all these developments going on for, for a while, how, how has your learning process been? Because, you know, like you said, and that's one of the things that's challenging about Kubernetes is, is really, you know, properly learning it. For you, what's worked best? You know, whether it's been doing courses, just getting your hands dirty, what's your strategy when, you, when you're encountering a new technology like Kubernetes? Um, my, my strategy has basically been around two prongs. It's been with just basically rolling the sleeves up and, and trying this stuff out. And also... Uh, I've benefited massively from from tribal knowledge. Okay, so who I work for, and I, I guess I guess this is a case for other vendors as well. You've got people um, who are involved, heavily involved in, say, um, the, the the Kubernetes storage special interest group, and it's kind of like a oh for a, sure. It, yeah. it's, kind of, it, it's kind of like a mothership which knowledge yeah. filters down and it, yeah. it filters down the organization and and there's, there's, there's sort of parts of the organization that I hook and feed into where I I sort of acquire that knowledge in a sort of a um you know a sort of tribal sort of way um yeah. I mean, no I mean but I think I think it says a lot to the expression you know like the best way to get involved is to get involved and I think yeah. that's why so many companies want to be a part of whether it's SIG storage or working yeah. in different open source foundations because it gives them direct access to the newest technologies and makes that learning curve not so steep. Yeah, so I think the thing is, I mean, even if you're not working for somebody who's heavily involved in developing things in the Kubernetes in- ecosystem, there is most definitely a, a fantastic um, community out there for learning stuff from. Yeah. No, I think it, I think it's it's is the exact same thing that came up in our in our uh, meetup last week, live stream last week about about backup and uh, you know restore was that Kubernetes is a technical challenge that has a people based solution, and I think that's what you're saying is by participating in these kind of you know community based initiatives, sharing doubts and issues that folks might have. Specifically to this to this one though about about Azure Arc, are there any resources in particular that you would recommend? Um, so I'd, I'd recommend for getting you, you dipping your toe in the water. I, I recommend the the jump start. So if you just go in into the, um, the search engine of your choice, mm-hmm. just just type in Azure Arc jump start. Um, so Microsoft have got they've got a ton of repos on GitHub for that, and also they've got um, some websites which are basically a uh, a shop front for their 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 stuff on on jumpstart okay good well i just uh posted on the link because some folks were um asking about that because you know wanting to take this a little bit further that seems to be a good resource can we uh finish by asking you know based on where we're at right now what are the things that you expect to happen in the next few years as we talk about whether it's data you know services about storage about different things what are what are the things that you expect to happen let's say within the next six months to a year um I expect the the 
the sort of boundary between what you can do on-premises in the public cloud to blur. Mm -hmm. I expect Kubernetes to underpin that. Um, I expect... I'm seeing this now, uh, you know, in the, 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 the day job, more and more, you know, Kubernetes and containers, it's becoming the de facto platform to develop on. That's, that's happening right now. And I expect people to, yeah, I mean, in general, just develop um, platforms which span different clouds, span on-premises on the public cloud, and for Kubernetes to underpin all that. Um, I mean, I guess at some stage, and I think Joe Beder's said this um, somewhere, that, you know, he hopes that Kubernetes gets boring, it will become ubiquitous. <laughs> and, and again, to quote the the great Kelsey Hightower, it's a platform for building platforms, and there'll become a point where it will just be, um, I don't know, I, I guess sort of blend into the wallpaper and, and, and you know, it'll be the stuff that people are building on top which will be interesting. Yeah, I think those all very, very good points. Like you said, the blurring the lines between on-prem and, and uh, you know, public cloud. Uh, a lot of things that, that you mentioned as well too previously in your presentation. So very, very good insights. Last thing that can I get you to do, can I get you to stop sharing your screen? Yeah, you can, yeah. Okay, um, I will share mine briefly. So as you mentioned with your wonderful screen grab of the LinkedIn post from Randy Abernethy, which was a very interesting talk that we had last week. Um, that was not him that did that drawing, but we have a resident artist who is with us in all of our live streams. And so I'm going to share my screen now. And so he was also drawing, uh, doing a visual rendition of the things that were being, the things that were being mentioned. Um, obviously there was a lot of stuff. So to be able to get everything is, is quite a challenge, but, uh, it's something we always like to share with our, with our speakers so that we can have a sort of memento of the things that were mentioned. Unfortunately, the Stains Linoleum <laughs> legacy did not make it in. So we will ask for an update to make sure that gets featured when we put that on social media. But anyway, Chris, uh, it was wonderful having you on. Definitely need to have you back. You mentioned that you're going to be speaking at another event, I believe, next month. Yeah, I'm speaking at this, um, this event called um, uh, South Coast Summit. So if you know the UK at all, it's at the, um, this place called the Aegis Bowl. Uh, just in great the great Southampton area, so that's that's on the on the south coast. So yeah, I'll be I will be there. Very very good. Spreading the truth and inviting other people to get involved with Azure yep. Arc and all things related to stateful data on Kubernetes. Chris, thanks again for for having uh, for giving us your time today. And like I said, we definitely look forward to having you.